Hello, welcome back to another episode of Bisexually Lit. I'm Danny, And I am Summer. We are so happy to be with you guys here today. Yes, this is like very quickly become one of my favorite Saturday activities. Yeah, it's just <laughs> sitting around, hanging out, talking about movies for a ridiculous amount of time. It's basically the best. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. How I'm are like, you, Danny? I'm... Good. Yeah. I uh, So I stayed up late trying to read the book that the movie we're discussing today is based off of. Uh, I was listening He's to it. He's an overachiever. Like, <laughs> I was listening to it at like 1.7 speed mm-hmm. until like 2 in the morning. Um, but I did get through it. It's so good. Highly recommend. Um, it's on my list. Yeah. Um, yeah. How are you, Summer? I'm great. I'm good. also, I feel well rested. I did not stay up until two in the morning That's reading smart. the source text. Um, I did try, so I, I rewatched the film two nights ago and then I was rewatching it again last night because I could watch this over and over again, to be honest. My evil plan to try and trick my boyfriend into watching it didn't work, by the way. <sighs> a little update for you. What a buzzkill. <laughs> Gary, what do you it's mean okay. you don't want to watch the cannibal love story? Listen. I just because I lovingly joke about wanting to eat you while you're sleeping sweetly next to me doesn't mean that I ever would okay (laughs) yeah almost (laughs) certainly probably not Uh, but yeah I uh, I'm excited to talk about this I mean I don't know if we're ready to like jump in introduce the title but like yeah let's introduce it. yeah so if you haven't guessed by now the cannibal love story yes we're covering the epic Bones and All by yeah. Luca Guadagnino. Uh, this is a movie that kind of like acts as almost the impetus to yeah. us coming together, Danny, to I, do the podcast a little bit, like in a way. I would say that this movie is like one of the emotional cores of Bisexually Lit because so uh, late last year when this movie came out, it was Thanksgiving, uh, we like we both saw this movie and it sort of fundamentally changed us Mm -hmm. and the conversations we would have about it and the feelings it inspired in us, uh, just like the artistry and the emotion, it all just sort of like rammed into us like a freight train. Right. And we ended up having these great conversations about it. And eventually when we, so we were dating at the time and then eventually when we broke up, we, and we decided to start the podcast, uh, like the the kind of it, conversations that we had had about this movie became a foundation mm-hmm. on which we sort of, you know, built a lot of these things. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Am I saying that right? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I second all of that. Um, another thing that I really love about this acting as like almost a an allegory for us coming together is like we tried so hard to see this movie together. Do you remember? So the first time, because Danny saw it first on Mm -hmm. their own and then immediately became obsessed, which happened to me too once I saw it. The first time I ever saw it, I like, I watched it twice in the same day. It was kind of crazy. It was a thing. It was Thanksgiving and I spent all day in the theater um, Which I'm I, so jealous. <laughs> like, best day ever. Highly that's, recommend. That's how I want to spend um, my. But yeah, I watched this, Oof. and then like during that showing, like something electrical happened, and like I lost like 10, 15 minutes of it, and so I just immediately went back into the next showing and watched it again. Which honestly, like when you told me that, and then I finally had the chance to see it, I was like, oh, I get it. Fantastic. Like, I want to. Can it's almost like you you wait in line forever to go on a roller coaster ride, and then you're finally like done and you just want to experience it again you're like can I go again just like don't even make me get out of the cart you know just like put the 
put the lap bar back down. I am stuck here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the first time we tried to see it, because we really wanted wanted to see it in theaters together, and we tried to go this one night. Um, and the, a huge blizzard hit us, and oh, I, I ended up that. like almost sliding off the freeway. Like it was so bad. So we had to call it. But then we were able to see it again a couple weeks later. Yeah. Um, and I, when I saw this, I had I was coming down from a panic attack because again the snow and I almost slid off a cliff earlier. <laughs> um, and so I was very emotionally heightened, uh, which which actually. Um, made for a very interesting first viewing of this film. It definitely contributes <laughs> to the state of it all, yeah, right? Yeah, but but I I yeah, I loved it so much. Um yeah, so I'm really excited to like also, dig in. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like we were the only people in the theater. <gasps> yeah, it was an empty theater. Which is yes! so fantastic. It, it, was it blows the best. my mind that like some of the best movies I've ever seen, I was the only one in the theater or like me and my friend were the only one in the theater. And I was like, okay, What's we need to get more movie nerds <sighs> yeah. out to see these wacky movies yes. about young people eating people, you know? Like, where is the demand for cannibalism movies? This is a call to action. Go see cannibalism. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was really good. Granted, it was like on a Wednesday at like 3 p.m. or something random Shh. like that. <laughs> I mean, what? Right. Um, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. I did forget that detail. Uh, not to dox you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, we highly recommend giving it a view. Um, actually, so I was pitching this friend to a couple of my... This friend, this film. This film is my friend. My friend too. Uh, <laughs> I was pitching it to a couple of friends. And when they heard that it was about like a love story about cannibals they immediately were turned off by it and they were like no but as soon as I took them through the journey of the ups and downs of these characters and the emotional journey they go on they were sold and they saw it and loved it so even if if you're maybe a bit squeamish or if you're not so keen on graphic gore it's really not it's not as gory as you would think um we can get into this but really the director and the writer talked about not wanting to lean into the shock value of that, which I think is a bold choice as well with the, this content. (laughs) Yeah. This movie is, is funny because like the first, the first pitch cannibal love story is like, I'm sorry, what the fuck did you just, no, I'm not watching that. But then like, as soon as you delve into some of the more details, like, Oh, it's starring Timothy Chalamet and um, Taylor Russell. Taylor Russell. Uh, it's directed by Luca Guadagnino, who did Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria. He's incredible. Uh, it's like cool 80s vibes. Oh, the score was done by oh. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, <sighs> which is just like fantastic. I'm a huge fanboy for them. Like, they're it's so... It's a gorgeous film. Oh my the God, cinematography. It's so pretty. Like, all of the details of this film and all of the care that went into, like, understanding the core of it and the story and, like, portraying the feelings involved, that's a, what pulls you in. It's definitely a, a character-driven film. It's an emotional film. Yeah. And that's, I think, what makes it so palatable because and we'll get into like the sympathy that it garners which is wild like you end up feeling so strongly for these people who are taking other people's lives um it's it's pretty remarkable um but yeah before we kind of dive into 
the themes and the characters. We wanted to just give a little bit of context. So Danny mentioned um, the director is Luca Guadagnino. He has a pretty strong oeuvre so far. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen his earlier films. So one of his uh, earlier films is called A Bigger Splash. Um, The writer for Bones and All... David, hold on, I have to look up his last name because it's one of those names. David Kajganich. Nope. David Kajganich. David Kajganich. Uh, probably not even pronouncing that correctly, but it's fine. Sorry, David. Um, he is the screenwriter, so he wrote, he also wrote um, A Bigger Splash and Suspiria. Okay. So this is their third film, Luca Guadagnino and David Kajganich. Cag. Why did I do this David. to myself? David. Yeah. We're on first name basis now, David. David I'm sorry. C. It's a K. Okay. David, David K. K. DK. A yeah. Donkey Kong? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So they have they have a history of working together. And, um, man, okay, it's going to be hard for me to rein in my ADHD brain, but I'm going to do my best. You got this. I listened to several interviews, okay? So there's a lot whirling around in my brain, but I'm just going to hit on a couple things. Um, it's really cool hearing the writer, DK, speak about his relationship with Luca. They have this shared language that they've established um, working together over the years. Super interesting, this David guy. He was a teacher for a long time, so he he actually taught writing, and then he actually um, delved into this career in Hollywood, which he wasn't expecting um but it's cool because he talks about how he and Luca Guadagnino they are both really well educated well read intellectuals they can hang with the intellectuals but they can also immediately you know they they can they they're chameleons I mean they can because they have such emotional intelligence they can connect with pretty much any social class that's cool um yeah and And it does it does seem like so i feel like people who tend to be very well educated and almost like to the point of pretension they tend to shy away from stuff like gore and like sort of lower class stuff yeah um but then you you watch this and suspiria specifically Mm -hmm. like suspiria is very violent and and body horror-esque and i feel like a lot of people from a class like that wouldn't be as interested in uh, delving into everything that makes something like that interesting yeah. and worth examining. They see it below them. Even. So yeah, yeah. I, I like that they connected over their ability to appreciate that for what it is rather than just like some other, you know, yes. some lower class thing, you know. I love that because yeah. it does, this is such a complex story. There are a lot of emotional layers mm-hmm. and... There are so many different interpretations that we're very excited to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he speaks about... So so David, the writer, speaks about how Luca Guarinino has a tendency to tell stories that focus on characters who have been alien, alienated in some sense. Um, they are either uh, forced to be invisible or they choose to be invisible because that's just easier based on the circumstances. Um, But people who are, you know, disenfranchised in some way. And it's pretty cool. So Luca Guadagnino uh, talks about in an interview with the um, 
Director's Cut. It's a DGA podcast. He speaks on his upbringing. So his mother is Nigerian and his father is Sicilian. He was raised in Ethiopia. And he had he experienced a lot of movement in his adolescence. They ended up moving to Italy, um, I think, in his teens. Uh, but he was very transient. He never really had the opportunity to settle in and find his people. And so I think he really connects with these characters mm-hmm. who are pushed to the outskirts, who don't really feel accepted to some degree. Um that's so. super interesting, and you can you can definitely see that in this in the movie and in the story that he chose to tell. Like, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to delve into the themes with that context. You know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and can you is Luca Guadagnino is he queer in some way? Is he? That's a great question. So I, I know, don't know anything about. His I know sexuality. that David Kajganich is gay. He okay. speaks openly about his the lens that he chose to approach this story through um it's actually really fascinating because he speaks to how he had to be really careful to not allow that his his own experience to color the story in in totality he wanted to make sure that he separated himself and left that ambiguity open so that different viewers could have their own interpretation of the story um but his specific experience he was um a child of the 80s, he was gay, um, and he really connected with these characters in the sense that, you know, there was no way to be accepted as you were. Um, and we can get more into that because it ties into the themes of the story, mm-hmm. which uh, are really applicable here. But anyway, as yeah. far as Luca Guadagnino, I don't know. Yeah, Did so you do I, I, I just looked it up, and it looks like he um, is gay. He is dating someone named... Ferdinando Cito Filomarino. Love that for him. Um, yeah, so these this was made by two gay men. Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like, he doesn't speak very openly about it, or at least yeah. in the interviews that I've I mean, heard. I mean, like, Not- he has made very queer oh, yeah. films. I mean, like, Call Me By Your Name was one of the first big gay movies of like the 2010s right mm-hmm. i mean maybe not first but like it it definitely brought it, queer filmmaking into the yes. forefront and it seemed like a very personal story that was being told yeah um so it's good to know that that is yeah. his perspective that he's coming in with really cool uh, but it seems like we're both really champing at the bit to getting into the themes and stuff yes, of this movie so true. um i want to give the audience just a real quick overview of kind of the setup of this movie so, um, you know, the pitch is cannibal love story, but the sort of summary that we're going to go with uh, is, so the story centers on a girl named Marin. She is a young woman who has moved around her whole life, and she lives with her dad who treats her with a lot of um, trepidation and as if she is very dangerous. And you see that she eats people um one of the you know the inciting incident of this is that she bites someone's finger off and consumes it and um anyway very early in the movie her father abandons her and kind of leaves her to explore the world on her own he informs her that her mom uh he he lets her know her mom's name and lets her know like maybe where to find her and so this is the story of her trying to find her mom trying to find her place in the world and maybe some answers about why she's a cannibal um, I don't know how much they actually say the word cannibal in this movie, though. I don't know if they actually do. Yeah, they do. refer themselves as eaters. Yeah. Um, and then, 
let's see. So during the course of the movie, she meets several other eaters. So one of them is an older man named Sully, who is quite creepy. Um, played he's by played Mark by Rylance. Mark Rylance. He uh, extremely Probably one of my favorite performances. Great in the whole performance. Film. <laughs> um, he at first seems very friendly, but also quite dangerous. Um, Pivoted she then, quickly. <laughs> yeah, she meets Lee, who is a young man around her age, and they hit it off. They start traveling together. And, That's our boy Timmy. Yeah, Timothy Oof. Chalamet. Uh, they fall in love. And then, so yeah, it's sort of like their journey through uh, sort of the Midwest and the South, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and her, uh, you know, the journey to her finding her mom eventually, which I think will will definitely circle back to her finding her mom a little bit more yes. once we've discussed some more of the themes. Yes. The mom is played by Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. Um, also, it is, it is a multi-genre film, which I think is such a cool choice. Um, it's a road trip film. It is a coming of age. It's a love story. It's a tragedy. And it's a cannibal story. <laughs> Can I just say, Horror so as well. right after I saw this movie, I uh, bought a new car uh, from 1995. Um, I, I don't know, just something about the aesthetic of this movie really made me need an older car that barely runs. Oh, it's Fantastic. such a great car, though. I love my Oof. car, guys. Um, yeah, like something about the being able to sleep in the back of your car and do maintenance on it yourself has been really, really good for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie is fantastic. I love a road trip movie. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. It's like, where do we even begin? (laughs) So one of the first things that we noticed and discussed about this movie is the sort of queer reading of it all. So... The first, so one of the first scenes, uh, Marin, she's like kind of the awkward new kid at the school, but this girl comes and, and invites her to a sleepover. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sneaks out of her house past the locks that her dad has put on her bedroom and everything. And she goes to this sleepover with the other girls. And sorry to interject, oh, but yeah. really quick, a thought before I forget. Yeah. Um, what I found really interesting too about this scene, because we, you mentioned in your synopsis that the father treats her with this sense of trepidation, um, which I think is true. But it's also so clear that he's just trying to be a good dad. He's trying like, so he hard. Like, he has done everything that he possibly could. But it's when I first saw this, I knew that there were elements of cannibalism in it, obviously going into it. But I wasn't sure to what extent. I wasn't really sure which characters. I didn't know much about it. And when you first meet the dad, the way that he locks her in her room, the way that she grabs a screwdriver before she puts herself into the room, it seemed like she was trying to protect herself from her father. And when she's talking to the friend, um, the friend invites her to the sleepover, like you said. She's like, you should come. And, and, And Marin says, my father would never let me. And it right. seems like he's this kind of overbearing. Right. It seems almost cool, like an abusive situation. Right. And that that's where my mind went. And then yeah. immediately you And then immediately you're like, that. oh, never mind. He's trying to protect everybody yeah, else yeah. from her. But but anyway, so yeah. she she ends up going to the sleepover. She sneaks out. Yeah. And there's this really like intimate shot of her. So there's four girls at the sleepover, including Marin. There's this intimate shot of her under this glass uh coffee table. Like <sighs> I love that shot. Like so shoulder much. to shoulder with this girl and like another girl is painting the girl's fingernails and they're talking about like yeah I don't know where my mom is and and just like kind of bonding in that way that you do when it's late at night and you're with your friends and 
it feels like they're about to kiss. Absolutely. Like it there are feels queer oh my god, overtones even. <laughs> yeah, like and and it introduces you to the fact that this is a love story kind mm. of. But then as that feeling of like teenage romance is building, that's when Marin bites off the finger of this girl who she's next to and blood spurts everywhere and the girls start screaming and and one of the friends is like pulling her off of her. And so it introduces you to like, okay, if this is like a, a sexually coded thing, it's horrible. And so like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I love the idea that like it's examining queerness as a deviant sexuality and also this is cannibalism. Have fun. It's weirdly yeah. erotic, but also uh, like, what the fuck is going on? I don't know. Unsettling I, I and disturbing, yeah, but also, totally. yeah, draws you in. Yeah, but, but I, oh, go, go no, ahead. you go. <laughs> no. I was, I was gonna say, um, this scene. Uh, there are a couple scenes in the book that are quite similar, of like Marin remembering back to different times that she has, uh, you know eaten people yeah and it has very similar themes and, and like uh you know ways of, of communicating like, okay oh like it feels like summer love it feels well, like i'm falling in love that's as a, a big question i like, had yeah. for you so so danny read the book i did not um and i read a bunch of articles about the differences just because i was interested in how they adapted it from the the it's a young adult novel mm-hmm. we should say written by camille d'angelis mm-hmm. um in 2015 right. um and I was curious because I read that one of the uh, things that they include in the book is that Marin's tendency to relapse, if you will, into cannibalism is tied to her romantic feelings. Yeah, it definitely is. Okay. There, there's this kind of vibe of like each cannibal has their own like taste for something different. So it's kind of communicated that Lee tends to go after people who are assholes specifically. Okay. Like it's less of a choice and more like, oh, I have an instinct. like it, it, it tastes better, you know, yeah. or like the compulsion arises when I'm around someone more like satisfying. This. But okay. yeah, Marin's thing is the people who I'm like attracted to, who I'm in intimate situations with, who I'm alone with and who want to, right. who are like attracted to me. Like, yeah. So like yeah. her first, uh, the first person she ate is the babysitter. But then after that, there was a boy at camp. At right? camp. Yeah. yeah. When they were eight and it has this whole scene of like, they swam out to the middle of the lake together. In the book, it has the scene? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because um, the film doesn't include that. Yeah. Right, so so they swim out to the middle of the lake together, and they, like, say hi, and it's this cute little young love thing, and they, like, meet cute. eat mm-hmm. cicada husks, and, and he takes her out to this, like, tent that he set up in the woods, mm-hmm. and he's just, like, telling her all about how he wants to be a park ranger when he grows up. and Sharing these like, intimate yeah, truths. Yeah, it, it's, like, bonding. such this, like bonding experience and it feels almost like a a first kiss is about to happen and then then it cuts to her stumbling out of the tent and not knowing what to do with his clothes Mm -hmm. like and and like throwing them into the lake you know that leads me to um one other thing that i thought was interesting with the difference between the book and the screenplay is um the writer was talking about Choosing to include the flashbacks in the form of this cassette tape that her father leaves for her. Yeah, I think this was a really good choice. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's cool because... So Andre Holland, he's the actor who plays the father. Mm -hmm. He is such an amazing actor. Um, He was in Selma and he was in Moonlight. Moonlight is Mm -hmm. what really put him on the boards. Um, But 
the writer makes a note that most of the time in both like writing like like novels um and and in visual storytelling it's better to show than tell Mm -hmm. but he said in this case it really worked to have andre holland replay these early events from Marin's childhood in the form of a cassette tape and i think it also works so well because it is emotionally a lot to put on the viewer to Mm -hmm. to tell recount these tales of a child Mm -hmm. going through these things like when he recounts the first time he when he discovered that Marin was a cannibal mm-hmm. when she was three, yeah. and he walks in the bathroom and finds this babysitter just covered in blood, her yeah. face. So so Marin had gone for her face, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's just it's very heavy, very yeah, yeah. graphic, and and I think it actually works so much better than um, filming those. Like like yeah. if you were to actually try to capture those moments it wouldn't work it it, It would it it would be so like focused on the gore and the horror of it all when in when you have the dad framing it as like this was an experience and it changed how i perceived you like he's telling her all the stories from her childhood and instead of being about the thing that happened it's more about the way he feels about it, the way she feels about it, and the way that it impacted their relationship. And I think that's really, really effective. Yes. So in the book, um, it's actually her mom that she grew up with. Um, right, I read and, that and too. And they had a bit more of a stable relationship. Hmm. Uh, so like they, they, they moved around a bit. Like They still moved around quite a bit. Is but it, it insinuated that the dad was the cannibal then? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so like they moved around quite a bit, but like it wasn't this sparse thing where they like, you know, were sleeping on the couch and stuff. Like they, they had a bit more homey of a feel to it. Um, But all of these memories are things that Marin is replaying in her head after her mom leaves and like leaves a note. Um, And so I think that kind of playing back the, the tape is a really effective way of giving this like metered expression of this is our relationship and this is why I can't do this anymore rather than the character. Cause in the book, the character just like feeds it all to you in this, like, you know, it's an internal monologue, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it, it works really, really well as an ad- adaptive tool. Yeah. Uh, I think I it's, a, it's also effective because it allows both the audience and Marin to process these really intense things mm-hmm. in pieces. Yeah, totally. Like you like said, it's you metered. S- it's yeah. not... You mm-hmm. see her, like, turning off the tape and putting it away because it's too much for her. And, like, as the audience, you're like, yeah, that was a little too much for me, too. Yeah. At the same time. So, yeah, I think I really that that, that. Uh, is a really good, super smart decision on the, um, on the part of the screenwriter. Yeah, but, yeah, going back into, like, the concept of... Um, interpreting this through a queer lens there are a lot of ways that I think that works Um, and obviously it's not meant to apply to every single aspect of the story Um, because there were a few moments where I was like oh I don't I don't know about that Um, but there were several if you don't mind I'm just going to share a couple of the moments that really stuck out to me Um, so which my thoughts are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so when when she meets Sully, oh, this is hard because I feel like I want to like dive into Sully's character because there's so much there. But you can tell that she's wary of him, right? She 
she doesn't trust him. She is interested and she's intrigued. And she and it's still nice to be seen, mm-hmm. right? Because he seeks her out. And he is the first other eater she's ever met. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and she's all alone first. at a bus stop in the middle of nowhere. Like she has no like support system. So I guess exactly. between, you know, being stranded at a bus station in the middle of nowhere and having someone, you know, feed you and kind of tell you that you're not alone in the world, you know, you know, that is a decision that you make and and definitely it's nice to have someone there and talking to you and saying, "No, you're not a mon well, maybe you are a monster, but you're not the only monster in the world. Yes. But at the same time, like that's a really scary thing being with a stranger. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And he's a scary person. He's so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I guess I'll just jump to, cause there's a lot I want to say about Sully's character, but I don't think now is the time when she meets Lee finally, which I made a note. We don't meet Lee until the 33 minute mark. Yeah, and talks. I remember the first time we saw it, I was so anxious, like just waiting for Timothy Chalamet to appear on the screen. I was oh, like, God. I was the anticipation was real, and then he, he doesn't appear until up. fairly late in the book either, too. Like it's pretty late. It's it's wow. It's uh, it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she meets him, she immediately feels this sense of relief. You can just tell because she opens up to him so quickly. Mm. Um, One of the lines that she says is, I don't know whether to laugh or scream or cry or what. She has so many emotions. And I think after meeting Sully and feeling unsafe there and ultimately choosing to remove herself from that situation Mm -hmm. without him knowing, um, meeting someone her age, more or less, Mm -hmm. who, you know, has this very... um, He's not similarity to her. Like, like he's not threatening. He's the same kind of person as her. But like he does, because I feel like Sully, when she first meets Sully, he immediately starts going, oh, like these are the rules of this. Right. Like he immediately takes on that mentorship role and is trying to put her into his world. Right. But then when she meets Lee, like they've run into each other. You know, the first time that she ever meets him, he's kind of standing up for this woman yeah. uh, against this drunk guy in a store. They both are. Cause she, I yeah. love that scene. Cause she's the first one who says, Hey, yeah. don't talk to her that way. Yeah. And then he goes, Hey, <laughs> I love that. First yeah. Line and he, and then he goes out and like eats the guy. Yeah. Um, Takes care of business. And, and so it's just kind of, a random encounter. It wasn't targeted. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm here to like, it wasn't predatory. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it wasn't even like, even if the, interaction with Sully hadn't been predatory even if it had been like oh I'm here to help you like that's still not as good as like we just ran into it each wasn't other. organic yeah, yeah like these people just bumped into each other and they're feeling their way through each other neither mm-hmm. of them really know if this is something that they want but then you know they sit down over like cereal and my bacon fa- one together. of my favorite scenes it's so great and like they kind of decide like okay yeah you seem you seem fine you seem yeah. good like they come to a relationship consensus rather than like okay this is how our relationship's gonna yeah. be they're like hey yeah you can hang out with me yeah that's they're, fine you can come with yeah and I think so I had this really visceral reaction to that their first meeting when she immediately opens up to him he says so so when he's at the truck right and he's about to take this guy's truck that he is about to steal the one that he just ate. Um, she says, oh, yeah, you should probably go because you can see blood up close. And he says, we're fine. And she goes, no, I really don't think I am. <laughs> and and there's this sense of vulnerability. And 
this this relief again that kind of comes over her knowing that there's somebody who has been through what she's been through and who is just as confused and ju- and she's not alone mm-hmm. and and for me it immediately took me to the time in my life when I left the church mm-hmm. and I think we haven't really talked about this much on air, but mm. our differences or, or our Exodus stories, Danny, are pretty different. Yeah. Um, mine was pretty abrupt, um, was really intense, um, something that wasn't really rationally planned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just happened really suddenly. And it left me feeling very confused. Um, my whole world was turned upside down. And ironically, and this is leaving the LDS church, by the way. Um, I mean, we're in Utah, so yeah. <laughs> you can guess. We uh, both grew up like very, very Mormon. We yeah. both uh, went on missions. So like the people with the name tags, we both did that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, you know, <laughs> long yeah. time ago. But yes. Um, but yeah, when I, when I first left, I remember, even though I knew that there were people ahead of me that had left the church, at this point, I left pretty early on. When you're looking at like the timeline of people like mass exoduses like when the church announced that children of gay parents couldn't get baptized that led to like a huge exodus i was before that so Mm -hmm. this was in 2011 and i was the first one from my family i'm the youngest of six i was the first one to leave i didn't really have much of a a path to follow like a blueprint ahead of me of people that had laid the way that i knew of Mm -hmm. and so when i moved to salt lake specifically i moved to salt lake just a couple months after i left I remember feeling such a sense of relief and and just being seen when I met people who also had gone on missions and who had fallen in love with their companions or whatever, like similar things that just, it's hard to put into words, but it really brings you such a sense of not just community, but knowing that there are other people you're not crazy it's like it's like you're yeah. not losing your mind you know you're not the only one and there is a way to exist in this world and i think what's really cool about um Marin and Lee and we, there's so much to get into with their characters as foils for each other but like neither of them like you said neither of them have established like a set world with rules Mm -hmm. and and i think the contrast between sully's world and their world like it's like the um older generations versus like a younger generation they are looking for an alternative Mm -hmm. they're looking for a way to exist in this world on the margins Mm -hmm. of society um that's new and 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 innovative not necessarily what has worked for someone else Mm -hmm. um and I think also really quick, I'll just say this now is, sorry, I feel like I'm talking for so long. No, um, I love it. So the writer also mentioned that um, Sully's character was like the key to this film, which I found really interesting. Um, he he mentions that Sully acts almost as a warning mm-hmm. or like a beacon of like what the future could look like right. for either Marin or um lee or any other cannibal who's out there Mm -hmm. because if they continue to live on the outskirts on the margins of society without any connection without Mm -hmm. a sense of community this is what your future is going to look like yeah and it's to me i mean he's very lonely you can tell he's extremely i mean he we we see later that socialized yes yes and 
and void his his purpose almost seems like void of any purpose mm-hmm. his life what did i say yeah. his life almost seems void of a true meaning and purpose yeah. and and i just think like the juxtaposition of this younger generation coming to be versus like especially through a queer reading you mm-hmm. know like okay well uh, i'll i'll save some of this for later but um yeah i just i just think it's like so much to unpack and it's really fascinating to me yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think something that I was pondering last night and this morning was um, the way that Marin comes to know herself through interactions with other people like her. Right. So like, yeah, she's completely isolated through most of her life of anyone else who she can recognize like who she can recognize as someone like her right she feels like a monster she feels very distant um and then she sees she has like several different interactions with people who she knows she doesn't want to be like so there's sully who is awkward and weird and scary and drift drifting through the world right and then um, there, are, there is an eater that she interacts with in a field one night while they're camping who is scary and weird and nihilistic and violent and it just feels really gross to her. And then she has an interaction with her mom that we will circle mm-hmm. back to. Um, and every time she finds someone else who has a similar experience to her, she finds something else that she doesn't want in her life, Right. Um, And she also finds something else that she doesn't want in herself. Uh, As you come to know other people with similar experiences to yours, with similar feelings to yours, uh, similar weaknesses and strengths and stuff, you come to know yourself a little bit better and you can make better decisions. and um, Learn from their experiences. Yeah, and I feel like one of the themes of the relationship between Marin and Lee specifically, uh, they have a conversation um, later in the movie where Lee says basically like, you know, I'm, this is really hard because the more I hang out with you, the more I see myself. And that's kind of what this whole book movie is about is coming to know yourself through others and how scary that is and how difficult that is. And we see that Sully specifically never got to know anyone other than himself and therefore, he never came to know himself. He never had that complete self-discovery. Yeah. Ooh, that's so, such a good point. And so the ways in which he interacts with people, the off-putting like interactions that he has with Marin and everybody, like it's so weird because he can't see himself. He has no perception of how he's coming off or how he makes other people feel. <gasps> Is that why he refers so to himself in third person? Probably. Because <laughs> oh he hasn't interacted with anybody else. He's like, okay, I have to make this like self-perception up. I guess I'll just like... This is Sully. He's a a friend. He doesn't eat people who aren't already dead. But then how do you put that to the test if you've never interacted with anybody you care about? And then when you do and they challenge you, your whole world falls apart. And so totally. you must eradicate them or possess them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, always fun. Wow. What do you say we take a little I break? I was just going to say, let's take a break. We'll be back, listeners. <laughs> One sec. Listen close. You'll hear it in the rustle of the leaves and the whisper of the wind. 
in the falling snow and drifting clouds. The song of the road. The story of the people of this world. A soaring eagle, a scampering mouse, and the myths that surround them. They traveled through snow-dappled fields and across rolling oceans. To raucous festivals and somber forests. Not every journey needs a destination. Sometimes it's enough to wander and roam. Wander and Roam, an improvised pastoral story, releases Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Welcome back. We are back. We're back. We are ready to dive back in. Yeah. Um, so when we left off, we were talking a little bit about what each interaction that Marin has, well, what what our interactions teach us about ourselves, yes. right? Yes, interactions more, with others, yeah. how we learn from them. And um, so kind of to lead up to some more discussion about that, um, in the book, it's really interesting because uh, Marin, so she really, really likes reading in the movie, but in the book, it's a bit more a part of her character. It's like weaved in a bit more and one of the things that she does with this is she she'll like go in and look for any like monsters uh, or cannibals or people who eat people in books and stories and like depictions of art so she has like a photocopy of Saturn eating his son in her notebook really and so like she collects evidence of cannibalism and like different monsters and how they're treated in literature and it reminds me so much of like when I was younger and like I knew I was queer but I'd never told anybody yeah so anytime I would see like a lesbian couple out in public I would be like Oh my God! Look, it's gay people. Yeah, I was like, a, totally. I'm trying not to be weird about this, but like yeah. the seeing like, yourself. Yeah, in you're a way searching that's for. Yeah, you're searching for images of yourself, even if it's not hopeful. Like it's that representation, yes. you know. Like, but yeah. So it, there's, I don't know. There's, it's. I, I really, really enjoy the relationship that this movie has with the self concept. And, and delving into, it. you know, understanding yourself as a monster, but still understanding yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think we wanted to talk some more about that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So considering, like, the different relationships that she forms over the the course of the film, I guess it would make sense to start with, do we want to talk about the dad? Is there much that you want to um, say about the yeah, dad? Yeah, actually. So I... We don't see as much of the relationship with the dad in the movie, but in the book, her relationship with her mom, who was the one who raised her, um, her she actually sees her mom after her mom leaves her. Uh, she goes and finds her mom in Pennsylvania after um, her mom leaves, and she sees her uh, with her parents, like, crying, basically, over the fact that she had to abandon Marin. Mm. And it's really, really sad. And she comes to question over the course of the book, like, if her mom ever really loved her. It's very sad. Hmm. It it really is a marker of, like, the alienation and the inability that she comes to experience to see herself in normal people anymore. Mm. You know? Like, I, I think it's a kickoff. Mm. I, I think it's a blank slate. 
Okay. I think it's the kickoff for like, okay, maybe I can't relate to humans anymore because the one person I thought I could relate to, my mom, the person who I thought I who who I thought like loved and supported me through all of this, abandoned me and I was hurting her for 16 years. So, so like it's there this was catalyst to kind of propel yeah. her into like looking for other Exactly. Okay, it okay. it kind of scrubs That's her smart. self-perception clean uh, of all of these previous interactions that she had had. And allows her to search for something else within these, you know, monsters and eaters that mm-hmm. she finds herself among in the weeks following. Okay. Yeah. That's that's good insight. That's yeah. very... I think that the choice that they made in the film to... It simplifies it because her relationship with her parents is not the crux of Yeah, definitely her. not. It, it's, yeah, it's much more of a love story in the yes. movie. I, and I think that um, I think that a lot of the emotional uh, development that happens in the book in relation to her parents is kind of, um, it, it's not as necessary in the movie because the movie is so focused on her relationship with Lee and then, you know, in the one scene with her mom, it mm-hmm. kind of delivers everything you need. Yeah. Uh, and it's a different point, but it is still, like, a complete point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the stuff with her dad, who is institutionalized in the book, is very different. Okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I think, so, as far as her relationship with her father, I think when we're examining uh, her interactions with others through this lens of self-discovery and, you know, learning about oneself... Um, I see a lot of her uh, self self perception um, at this young age because he we learn later that he b- abandons her on her 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. So it's like he literally leaves as soon as it's legally <laughs> as soon as it's okay. permissible. Yeah. Um, and not to say that he didn't give it his all and he didn't put like a ton of effort into trying to help her, um, but. In the tape, when she's listening to this cassette tape back, there's one point where he says, I I always saw, I knew you had to eat. I knew that there was something in you that made you have to do this, but I always saw it as who you are, not what you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he did try to refrain from slapping a label on her and, and seeing her as a monster. Right. But he also did very much... Um, instill this belief that this was something that she needed to repress this mm-hmm. was something that she needed to strive to overcome and that it was not acceptable in any way right. um and the part that really broke my heart was i think i texted you about this last night mm. um was when he says oh so this is this is when she's listening with lee because at, at oh, a certain yeah. point she hasn't yeah. finished the tape oh, yet and she asks him she says hey will you <coughs> will, also, can I just say, Taylor Russell, oh, she's such an amazing so actress. Good. Oh, my God. She has such uh, an innocence about her. I think, Danny, I think when we watched this, I was trying to describe this quality that she has, and mm-hmm. you nailed it on the head. Do you remember? You said that she has, like, a brightness like yeah. a, to her tone. Yeah. I'm like, yes, there's this this kind of brightness. That's a, mm-hmm. such a good way to describe it. Um, but I'm thinking of her saying this line. So she asked Lee, you know, Will you will you do something for me? And he's like, Yeah, of course. Like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. She's like, Will you will you listen to this tape with me? So they're listening back together, and there's a point where um, the dad says, uh, 
Bah, 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 notes. Okay. He says, you know, he he prays that whatever made her this way will be taken away and she'll be normal. Um, and hearing that, God. speaking of the queer metaphor, ah, holy shit, I I was like in tears because how many of us queer kids, particularly raised in religion, in in or in any puritanical society in mm. which that is like a deviant viewed as a deviant way of life, mm-hmm. um, or way of being. Um, you know, praying that God will take this away. Yeah, that you and, just wake up one day and be normal. And like, and like, it breaks my heart thinking that viewing it through this lens, like looking at Marin, like she is, she is pure intentioned, even though she is taking lives. She, she is so earnest and yeah. just wants to live the best life that she can. Yeah. And her, and she, and she really does struggle so much with the moral aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And Lee hates that. (laughs) Lee, Lee is like, Hey, don't do this to yourself. Like every time she's like, like disconnect from this shit. Like you don't need to care. Like when we get to the carny scene Mm -hmm. and you know, he ends up, uh, they, they eat the, the guy who works there and they Mm -hmm. find out that he has a wife and kids that wrecks her, you know, like Mm -hmm. that completely, just it wrecks her and and you know she she's really struggling with this but anyway just that that line from the dad saying like i i hope that god takes this away from you like oh it gutted me (laughs) and it's so i think that it's so interesting looking at cannibalism because because this like the urge the bad thing the cannibalism that they experience like it's such an interesting metaphor to choose in this context because like it can it in a sense it is a metaphor for like any kind of outsider it, like being an outsider yeah, in general marginalized. right being marginalized in a sense and because of that it can be a reading for being queer but also like isn't cannibalism inherently bad? That's, like, is yes. is this engaging with this kind of marginalized like identity like equating on, like, cannibalism with like being queer like, yeah that like work. where where is this where how do we engage with this and if we i don't know if we reject the idea like if we say Marin should be okay with who she is is that right is that wrong it's in such this? a deep philosophical I, yeah, question I, I think that this movie really like causes you it, it transports you into like a very different ethical world yes and really makes you focus on just like these people and how they feel rather than and how you feel when you connect to them rather than like what's right or what's wrong it's more about like how are we interacting as people um yeah i i think piggybacking off that when i was speaking earlier i can't remember if that that was on air or off air but we were talking about like how the queer reading isn't a perfect metaphor because there's some things that don't work for me and that's the glaring one i mean equating being queer with being a cannibal taking people's lives like obviously that's not what they were saying yeah totally. but it it does yeah it kind of like catches you considering things that you never would have considered like why can't they just be accepted and like live their lives and be happy together you know yeah Um, and I guess I guess like it 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 doesn't work necessarily from the perspective of someone who like believes that it's cool and awesome and beautiful to be queer but like if someone who is like oh it's bad to be queer it's deviant to be queer then like 
I guess, yeah, maybe you would, I don't know, like, where would they, how would someone like that analyze this? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to ask a homophobe, but I don't think they would watch this anyway. Yeah. (laughs) It's not for you, homophobes. (laughs) Not everything is for you, straight white sis. Absolutely nothing is for you, actually, especially not this. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, this is for us and for us only. Yeah, um, but her but dad. Yeah, but her- yeah, her dad and her relationship with her dad is really beautiful and complicated. And more than anything, like that line really captures the feeling of being queer. It's it's yeah, like you can't really analyze it structurally and yeah. be like, oh yeah, you shouldn't eat people. Maybe it would be better if you were normal. It's all about like personally this is who you are Mm -hmm. and like you can't pray away the parts of who you are yeah and how to I think my favorite um kind of parallel with this specific reading through a queer lens is assuming that it's not cannibalism but it is just being queer oh yeah in this world where it's not acceptable and it's it's frowned upon um you know, learning how to create a world where it is acceptable and, and again, like with the chosen family mm-hmm. and, yeah. and finding your people and, and revolutionizing your way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that because I yeah. think that's really inspiring. Which I think can lead us into talking about her relationship with Lee, right? Because Lee, that's a very like powerful and and positive relationship in her life for the most part right yeah absolutely I don't know there are some and I I haven't seen the movie that recently unfortunately because I I ran out of time but um I remember some aspects of their relationship when I was first watching I was like oh that's kind of problematic like they're a little bit like but they they bounce off of each other in really interesting ways and it just feels like you know this is teenage love they don't know what they're doing but they're like building on each other and they're seeing each other and seeing themselves through each other and that's kind of what community is about and so it's it's getting rid of that voice inside you that says let's pray away the parts that are bad about you and saying let's engage with the parts of you that you've labeled bad talk about them and find out how to live with them right it's almost like therapy absolutely just saying like hey hey stop labeling this feeling stop labeling that that this thing you want or this thing that you experience is bad and just say hey this is something i have what would my life look like if i were okay with that what would my life look like yes. if i were with someone who loved me for that yes. you know and i think and, that and, that's and accepting that you deserve that yeah like, totally you are intrinsically good <laughs> yeah totally i mean you think about someone who has depression like I struggle with depression a lot. Sometimes I can barely get out of bed. It's fine. Um, And like there are days where you're like, hey, I would also like to pray that this goes away and I never struggle with this again. But also that's not really realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are things that I can do to make it better. And there are things that I can do to adapt my life to be better. Being resourceful, using your tools. Yeah, exactly. But like the thing overall, like – the more people I connect to, the more I realize that like no one's going to, well, the people who matter, they're not going to judge me for feeling depressed. The people who I love aren't going to be like, oh, you should change that about yourself. They're going to be like, oh, that's something, that's a part of you. And like, even if it's not a part that you like, that's still a part of you. And I'm not trying to like excise that or exercise that. I'm trying to engage with that. And so I think that Lee and Marin are good 
examples of that you know um lee is very you know supportive in that way Mm -hmm. which is really interesting i i really love that i couldn't agree more i think that there's this well it takes a while to unlearn that mindset to strip away all of these filters that we've been these like nonverbal agreements societal agreements Mm -hmm. that we've made and that we've come to believe like you with depression like I mean there anything that has like a stigma we are completely convinced that you know we're broken because of this thing but Mm -hmm. learning to like you said like lean on those who do love us that we have led into our lives and trusting them and and figuring out how to exist in a world that doesn't really work for us, in a broken world that mm-hmm. doesn't actually allow us to be ourselves and learning to, you know, move past that and mm-hmm. create that own reality yeah. for ourselves. And I think, Summer, you said something earlier about, like, the the metaphor, like, about ableism or something, right? It, yeah. This seems like a good Oh, time perfect. To, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know. I was You're just thinking, best. like, oh, wait, no, this ties into what we were talking about. Because when we were on our break, I was like, don't let me forget to bring this up. So you're the best. Thanks, Danny. You're the best. <laughs> Keeping us in line here. Yeah, so this interview that I was listening to with our friend DK, the writer, he did, and I mentioned this, you know, he grew up in the 80s as a gay kid. Um, so he was talking about how uh, this and and just like the idea of focusing on characters that are disenfranchised and marginalized, and he made such a good point, stating that you know the those who are typically marginalized marginalized in our society, specifically in this capitalism, mm-hmm. you know that we exist in, um, it's usually those who are quote unquote using up too many resources. So it's those people who are on you know financial aid who are taking up these resources and using them to survive. Um, They're the ones who usually get judged. They're the ones who get pushed to the outskirts of society. Um, And it's uh, a lot of time because of the way that the system is structured, these people who are paying their taxes and who are like supporting these, these disenfranchised feel like, well, this money should be used to help them, but it shouldn't be used to hold them up or sustain Mm -hmm. them long-term. And it's, it's this, it's this issue that is inherent in, unfortunately, that's very difficult to overcome as a society, but it's it's this like catch-22 almost because it's like, so in this sense, let's say um, we're talking about um, looking at this from like a classist view, like the impoverished, right? These people who have been oppressed for generations, you know, we're, we're talking about racism, we're talking about systemic racism, oppression. Mm-hmm. They have been over and over again, pushed to the outskirts of society. And if they do um, lean on these resources that are available, they're judged. They are even further ostracized. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they don't, what's the other option? I mean, removing themselves from the equation altogether. Um, But if if you're looking at it like, like the writer saying, you know, he grew up as a gay kid in the 80s, so many of his friends, and including himself, felt like, if they were to live in this world, they would be an inconvenience. It would just be better to 
disappear themselves, make themselves invisible. Um, and I think that like, that's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and it speaks to these characters. I think there's a parallel because, you know, they aren't accepted in this world. Um, there's no room for them. There's no question. They'll never be accepted in society. And so, you know, do they make themselves invisible? Um, or like what options do they have? Or they turn themselves in like Marin's mom and they institutionalize themselves. And then a, they're relying on resources from taxes, right. Mm -hmm. To be institutionalized and B they are denying themselves of any sort of um, existence that is has any sort of reward or satisfaction or or any you know like mm-hmm. it's just a miserable existence yeah like <sighs> when you when you deny parts of yourself that are inconvenient or that require other people to make space for you so I'm thinking of some of my friends online who are like disabled or who, yes who require um like uh, uh what's the word um like accommodations and yes. stuff like people gripe about it or say it like well if you can't go outside uh with like if you're worried about covid you just shouldn't go just outside. don't go outside like shit yeah. like that you know like people insist that like you shouldn't engage you shouldn't you should be invisible you're being an inconvenience but, but really this movie is about like there is beauty even in lives that are inconvenient even in lives that you know have to where you have to make space for them and there's no point in trying to suppress that you should there should be space for that you know and um no matter what the marginalized identity there needs to be a community for that you know and um yeah well really before oh, we yeah, move yeah. on just more about lee yeah, like yeah their totally. relationship what makes this such a beautiful love story mm-hmm. is we're witnessing these two really young people who are just barely starting to forge their way in this unknown world, more unknown to them than anyone else mm-hmm. <laughs> due to their circumstances. We're witnessing them be extremely vulnerable with each yeah. other and that's really and, hard. and process trauma together and, and like, oh, okay, one of my favorite moments is when I think they're sitting in the back of his truck and they're talking about their first time. And Lee is, she's like, what was your first time like? And he's like, oh, I was a babysitter. And she's like, me too. <laughs> she gets so excited. And it's like, again, like I saw this myself in that, like when you're sharing your your queer experiences or your, you know, you just know, like you see someone and you just know like, oh yeah, yeah, that person gets it. And, and relating to these people, there's just this, there's that like shine. Yeah, you know? yes, the shine that comes from it. That's just like your heart just lights up. And I loved that moment. Um, and then, of course, when Lee finally opens up about his traumatic um, thing with his dad. Like, yeah, let's talk about that. Or do you want to talk about, about that? Okay. Yeah. Because that's like, not in the book, right? I don't know. It's not. So, yeah, um, y- yeah so. It's when they're driving west, I think, right? They're like out on the plains. They're in Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, and they're and they're on that yeah, on the in the field, the yeah. open plain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're just like looking out over the grass. Beautiful <laughs> shot. Oh my it's god. So gorgeous. Shout out to the director of photography. Actually, yeah, and we'll come back to that. But the DP, holy shit. This guy was 27 when he was hired to do this, Crushed and he it. is 
a visionary. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, they're on the plane. They are. Yeah. So they, so, um, they had like visited Lee's hometown and Marin had met his sister. Yeah. And there had been like talk of something weird happening in his background. And Marin asks like, what happened with your dad? Um, and he pushes it off a few times yeah. before he finally opens and, up and about I it. And I think that um I think that his sister had said like oh yeah my dad like left one night he beat the shit he ended out up of hitting Lee. me and Lee yeah. yeah and like Lee was in police custody for 3 days but like none of the blood on him was our dad's and so it was just assumed that our dad left us um and so Marin asks Lee like what happened with that and he says yeah so my dad hit my sister and then he uh i told her to go get the cops and then we fought he beat the shit out of me and tried to eat me um it was the first time i ever smelled it on someone so like realized that someone else was an eater which like kind of surprises me that his dad was an eater that whole time and he never knew like that never had an impact on his life before yeah um and then he says, yeah, he, you know, I, I got him in a chokehold or something. I don't know. He did something. He knocked him yeah. out and then he took him out to this old barn mm-hmm. and tied him all up. And, and, and I love when Aaron goes, him up. what did you do? Yeah. And he says. Yeah. Well, so oh, then he goes, he goes back to the line. cops. <laughs> the cops arrest him and, and test everything. But it turns out none of the blood was his dad. So he gets let go. So obviously he didn't like kill his so dad his sister just thinks that the dad ran off yeah everyone thinks yeah, that yeah, yeah. and every, yeah. like there's rumors around town that maybe he did something to his dad but no it can't be because none of the blood was his dad's but then as soon as he's out of police custody he goes and he eats his dad i love the line when he goes so i ate him Marin, right the fuck yeah up. Marin says what did, what did you do and he gets this little smirk on his face i ate him right the fuck up <laughs> oh it's so uh, good but, but okay which like was that bones and all for him I don't think he had had a bones and all experience yet because when they learn about the like the full digestion of like the whole body from um, David Stolberg's character, Mm -hmm. it's news to Timothy. Like Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Stolberg. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Uh, It's news. It's news to Timothy as well. Yeah. But I just. okay, I love that scene so much when he shares this experience with Marin because she, she ah, Marin is such an emotional creature and she she's totally an empath I feel like because she can read people so well and she sees that this is a very difficult thing for Lee to share and she leans in and she takes his hand while he's sharing this and tears are rolling down his eyes and she is just taking it all in without an ounce of judgment without any sort of real feedback other than love and and he asks her like do you think I'm a terrible person Mm. and she says all I think is that I love you and like it's so palpable like that the love that they share in that moment and like it takes me back to those times too when when you share these deepest darkest secrets that you've never shared with anyone that you that, that forces you to see yourself as a monster. Because, like, I think speaking to depression and, and mental health in general, like, I think we can all relate to those moments where we are, like, if anyone knew the real me, 
no one would want to be around me, you know, and he's finally sharing this with her. And, and I've had moments like that too. When, when you find someone you love and you're opening up to them finally and sharing these deepest, darkest things that come from years of, of trauma and, and not feeling judged and feeling safe and being loved and accepted for all of that. It's like you said, Danny, like those people that we have selected to be part of our found family, they don't judge us for that and they see us as more than that anyway i love that yeah and i think that that interaction the uh you think i'm a terrible person don't you all i know is that i love you like that seems to be sort of the thesis of the movie right like does it matter if you're a terrible person does it matter what society labels as good or bad in this universe not really all that matters is love and the connections, the connections that bind us. Yes. You know, the more we cut ourselves off, the more it matters if this is good or bad. But like if we're bound, if we're close to each other, if we care about each other, maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe the things that we do to survive aren't as much of aren't as indicative of where we are as, you know, the, the ties that bind us. That's so beautiful. Not yeah. to say that we're condoning <laughs> um, extreme, no. Or, no, or like you know, uh, ethically. Um, no, you should set things on fire be- for sure. <laughs> Burn it all down. Yeah, I think uh, the crime is awesome and sexy. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, connection, connection is what it's all about. Yeah, it always comes back yeah. down to that, and that's that's what movies are about yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, connecting with the audience, like yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, do we need to take another break? Yeah, let's take a real quick break. We'll take a real quick break and then we'll come back um, for more discussion. Sounds good. BRB. Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48, a horror storytelling podcast presented bi-weekly starting March 8th. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. We're back. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, now that we've talked a bit about some of this, um, okay, so I there were a couple of lines from the book that I, I wrote down last night that I was just going over that I kind of wanted to read over. And and most of them had to do with her relationship either with Lee or her mom. Okay. So like that's a perfect segue to yeah, get into because the we're mom. gonna talk about yeah. her mom and her experience with her mom because we've been alluding to it this whole time, but like <laughs> we're gonna go over what actually happens. Yes. Um so oh um close to the beginning of the book. Well not not the beginning. So um, close to the beginning of when I started taking notes, um, there's a part where she is, um, I don't know, with a boy and like Mar- we Marin or yeah, Marin. Yeah. Um, she's you know with a boy and she's having romantic feelings and you're like, oh, she's gonna eat this guy, um, and he, like, he's convincing her that they should make out or something, and there's a a line in the scene where it says, everyone is lonely. You can't do something just because you're lonely. And I really, really liked that. And it's it's indicative of like where Marin is like ethically and emotionally at this point in the book where like, and in the movie, I guess, where like 
just because I'm lonely, just because I need to eat somebody, uh, doesn't mean I'm allowed to. Wow, she's so self-aware, even she at is. a young age. Dude, she's so good. She's so smart. I love, mm-hmm. ooh, I, yeah. I yeah. love how clever she is. Um, so at one point, pretty close to, pretty close to when she and Lee start getting closer, um, Lee asks her if her mom, who was the one who abandoned her, was afraid of her. And she kind of falls apart. She just starts sobbing. Um, and I think it's, a, this was the part where I kind of realized, I guess we kind of went over this already, but like they see each other, like knowing someone else is knowing yourself and having someone who like sees you enough to ask the questions that hurt. Yeah. That is such a difficult experience, but it's so worth it. Yeah. God. Um, yeah. Like someone delving into the the parts of yourself you know how like when you're learning math you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. you like don't you don't even have the words or like the concept of like oh I, I don't even know how to clarify that I don't even know what all exists above that yes um and then the more you understand of a concept the more you're like okay I can ask more specific questions now yeah learning about yourself and learning about other people is very similar to that mm. and the more similar to someone you are the closer to home the questions get mm. and Lee and Marin are very close to each other by the end of this book and it and and the movie uh it's so interesting watching them bounce off of each other and interact and be able to ask the questions know when to pull back and know when to yeah. push because like Marin asks uh, Lee several times what happened with his dad right and and then she knows when to keep pushing yeah. and when to back off. Like, yes. it's such a, yeah, it's it's such a great example of how connection helps you know yourself better. Yes. Um, anyway. I love that. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, Not only does it help you learn more about yourself in these specific ways that you wouldn't necessarily be brave enough to face without that other person, it's that validation, right? Mm-hmm. It's I think the reason why the closeness comes so quickly and intensely for these two is that they are validated by each other's existence, even though it's troubling because mm-hmm. it is like looking in a mirror and they see the things that disturb them most about themselves. They also see the humanity yeah. and they're able to grant that same love and humanity towards themselves in turn. Absolutely. Like when you come upon someone who's had a similar experience as you and you are able to forgive them, then you forgive yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking about how, so when I made Salty Plastic, which is a short film about um, my exodus from the church and my experience on my mission, um, I was really, I struggled a lot while making that movie um, because at this point, my family didn't know about what actually happened on my mission. And I wasn't really out at this point um, completely to everyone. Like I was out to the people that I cared about, but not publicly. And I remember struggling with a lot of guilt and like self-loathing because I felt like I wasn't allowed to tell my story. And like this was going to hurt my family or people close to me. And my ex-husband at the time, he was he was telling me like, Summer, if you heard this story from 
anyone else, a story about someone who fell in love with their companion and ran away together and then their companion was deported back to Brazil and you were ripped apart and you weren't allowed to be together, Mm -hmm. would you judge them for telling that story or would your heart break for them? And I was like, oh. That's a really good point. Yeah, like, wow, I would... Um, I mean, and it's it's a common thing for us to um, grant forgiveness and not and less judgment when mm-hmm. you're looking at your friends or your loved ones. You know, you're much more forgiving towards them than you are yourselves. But it really put things in perspective for me, and I love the point that you made because it's like when we it, when we forgive someone with that same experience, we are inherently forgiving ourselves mm-hmm. and. It's so therapeutic in that sense. And a vital part of that process is being vulnerable and letting someone know that you've had that experience, right? Like taking the jump, taking the leap of saying, okay, I did this fucked up thing. Yeah. And and allowing someone the opportunity to forgive you. Yeah. And and allowing yourself the opportunity to, you know, the opening to forgive yourself. Yeah, and also like... When you're that honest with someone and that transparent, it's really an act of like putting your trust in them because you're not trying to guide how they're going to react, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I think growing up as a people pleaser and um, in kind of a passive aggressive communication style, I've learned that catering what you tell people you're basically manipulating what their reaction is going to be you're yeah trying you're to constantly control. trying to like keep the meters even and say okay if yeah. i'm trying to keep you happy then what do i what do i need to be how do i right? yeah exactly yeah. and and for them it's like they're no longer trying to fit into any sort of mold that mm-hmm. society expects from them that they expect from them they're just being raw with yeah. each other oh yeah there's a, there's a exactly. liberation that comes with that yeah totally and um i think that maybe this is a good time to kind of pivot into someone who didn't allow themselves the opportunity to be vulnerable they didn't yeah. trust themselves and they didn't trust anybody else and instead they cut themselves off from everyone yep. uh which is Marin's mom um so the entire sort of exodus that Marin experiences in this movie is to find her mom who she doesn't know almost anything about she knows her name um but that's it yeah she says her dad never talked about any memories never told her anything she didn't even know that her mom was a cannibal until she put the pieces together exactly um so she finds her grandparents uh in what was it wisconsin minnesota minnesota um and then her grandmother tells her where she can find her mom. Her mom is in an institution. I really didn't like, sorry, this is just a quick side note. I kind of hated how the grandma was like, she's no longer with us. And then she was like, oh God, so she thinks she's dead. And then she's like, well, when I said no longer with us, I didn't mean that. I didn't love that. That's That's just some (laughs) avoidant bullshit. Totally. Yeah, it just bugged me. Some people just aren't able to confront bullshit. It it tracked with that character. Yeah, totally. not accepting. And also like kind of the impact that she may have had on her adoptive daughter you know like if her parents weren't able to confront the issue of oh my god my daughter's an eater yeah then how was how was the mom supposed to you know um there was so much mom's name again i I don't even cannot remember um baron's mom you know um but there's so much i caught on like the second viewing Mm -hmm. so when she meets her grandma for the first time yeah she opens up about how 
she they adopted her somebody dropped her off at a fire station Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god yeah because the first time I was like I it wasn't super clear to me that her mom was also an eater and I also didn't catch on to the fact that this is clearly like a genetic thing because we learned that Lee's dad was an eater and so obviously when when Marin's mom was abandoned by her parents one of her parents was also an eater Mm -hmm. so this is passed down through the lines um but I think the story oh the writing's just so good that's what I want to say the writing is so good in this there's so many subtle moments that push the story along without being heavy-handed and without making it feel staged it's just masterful yeah it's I'm like sorry, this I understated kind of thing what you yeah were totally but yeah um, so she's talking to the grandma right so she so the grandma tells her like okay your mom is in this other town in a state institution and uh yeah never come here again and she's like by the way we didn't um, yeah, she she put herself in the institution. Yeah. Like this was not our decision. She did. The mom's name is Janelle, by Janelle. the way, okay, played by right. Chloe Sevigny, okay, who I love. Oh uh, yeah, I've never seen her in anything else, but she's in a ton of shit. That. Like yeah. she's just been around forever. But I'm sure, like she's super talented. Yeah, she was in um, this other the series that Luca Guadagnino made for HBO mm-hmm. called uh, We Are Who We Are. Okay. Which is so good. You should watch it. Nice. I'll and Chloe Sevigny's in it. Um, nice. But anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so the, let's see. So she goes to the institution and she is shown to her mother's room. And like before she gets in there, her, like the people at the institution are like, oh yeah, like your mom, she's, you know, she may not recognize you. She's kind of med, she's got a bunch of meds. And also like she used to be kind of dangerous, but it's not really a thing anymore. years ago. Yeah. Um, so she walks into the room. Her mom is sitting on a chair, and you see that both of her arms are gone about halfway up to the elbows. Um, it is clear that she has eaten her own hands. Um, and also, she is like very, very drugged up. Um, so, yeah, it's a very impactful scene. <laughs> like, it's Whoa. so intense. It's 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 honestly this really kind of hard rattled to watch. me. Yeah. yeah, almost more than seeing them eat anyone. Yeah, <laughs> actually, totally. like the the self mutilation was almost worse than the cannibalism, and just just knowing that that happened. Yeah, and, and and honestly, like leaving it up to the viewer's imagination was very effective because you immediately start playing out possible scenarios of how that went down totally and like what drove her to do that yes um yeah anyway so then the nurse uh says oh your mom gave this to me several years ago uh when she could still write to give to you she knew that you would eventually come looking for her so this is for you she gives her a couple small pieces of paper with a letter written on it (sighs) and this letter is fantastic like it, it is says everything it's it's beautiful so um yeah it it goes over the relationship that Janelle had with uh Marin's dad and how she did want to have the baby but she didn't trust herself um she left and how she doesn't know how to exist in society she i, I think she expresses that she thinks that the best thing that could happen is that she could be locked away at the center of a maze or something and just yeah. like locked off from society, which again is like a reference to 
ancient monsters, like a, a minotaur kind of mm-hmm. a thing, you know, like it's, uh, God, it's so good. Um, and anyway, the, the music is building and poor Marin is just like reading this letter and you can see on her face, she's just devastated because she thought that she might be able to have a relationship with her mom. She thought that she might get some answers or, or closure or healing from knowing where she came from. Yeah. And again, it's like, like you stated before, every interaction is a piece of herself being unlocked. And Mm -hmm. so this is a piece that she... I think just was hoping wouldn't lead to this. I mean, extremely scarring. Yeah, totally. Imagine thinking that you were about to find something beautiful and instead finding scars and trauma. The worst case scenario. A a destroyed life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also what makes this scene so impactful is having the voiceover of Chloe Savigny reading this letter. We see Marin reading it while... Her mom is watching her yeah. read it this whole Completely time. Completely like, nonverbal. She's unable yes. to speak or even like really control her movements. Yeah. It, it's hard to watch. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the letter, you... Do you remember specifically the words you saw? Um, she says something to the extent of, there's really nothing I can do for you anymore yeah. except what I should have done a long time ago. Basically. And and helping, taking you from this world so you no longer have to suffer. Yeah. Something like that. And while those words are being played in Marin's mind, all of a sudden, and this is like one of the horror moments, like oh the camera whips and Chloe Savini, the mother, Janelle, is... She trying lunges to attack. at her. She lunges at Marin and immediately tries to rip her throat out. Yes. God, it's um it, yeah, I jumped out of my seat. It's impactful. Oh yeah. my god. And like Marin is horrified. She runs for the door. The <gasps> nurse mean... uh like restrains the mother. It's she's it's, and she's just like, go, run, run, get out of yeah, here. Yeah, and it's and you see in Janelle's face, like, oh no, I've failed to take this monster out of the world. It's so devastating that you know she wrote this letter to kill her like yeah because it's so sad and what i yeah i think what's so significant about this moment is we've discussed previously that marin is presented with a few different paths that she can take with different outcomes Mm -hmm. one of them is becoming like sully Isolating yourself, not mingling with anyone, no connection, not a very happy life. Mm-hmm. Or the mother, right? So turning yourself in, um, depriving yourself of any semblance of humanity in the way you're treated or the way you treat yourself. And and I think that we see this very jarring um realization for Marin when well and I mean like can you imagine learning that your mother literally thinks like that you should just be dead like yeah, she's doing you, you a exist. favor like yeah. like this she's is doing my gift by killing this you. is my God. gift to you yeah. you know um devastating so devastating and I I just I just yeah I find it really effective how this story handles it i don't know it was just really well done 
Um, and Marin's reaction, I mean, so well oh, your heart is just breaking every single step of the way here because you see her run out of the building and Lee is there waiting for her. Mm-hmm. And, and Marin begins spiraling, right? Because she is overcome with this concept of what the fuck am I supposed to do with this existence I've been given? Where do I go from here? Yeah. Because she hasn't seen yet a good example of how you can survive mm-hmm. and find a balance that's healthy and and live a happy life. Yeah. Um, and I think, what is Lee's reaction? Lee... Yeah, he, he basically he's lays like, it's out... He's like, that bad. Uh, huh? Well, he says, like, it's not that bad. He's well, like... Because he, he says, like, my experience with my dad was way worse. Like, that's best case scenario. Like, you don't have to worry about her. Move on. Like, yeah. And also, I, I think he says, like he basically outlined some of the themes that we've been talking about. Like you have some options, like you can either go yeah. crazy, you can lock yourself up or you can accept who the fuck yes, you are. Yes, and like Marin says, I, I don't know, but I know that I'm not going to end up like that. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of like, it, it's absolutely an indication of like generational trauma, you know, like yeah. how many people do you know who watch their parents go through shit? Like, be it a divorce or trauma or addiction or something, and they say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not fucking that. Yes. You know, I like, will you don't not know end what, up like that. Yeah, you don't know what you're going to do, but you know what not to do. Yes. Um, you know what decisions you're not going to make, and that's all that matters for the moment, you <sighs> yeah. know? And, um... No, I but think, you're right. Yeah, he's yeah. like, these are your options, and we, and we have it. to just live our lives. And yeah. and this is the turning point for Marin. This yeah. is when she leaves yeah she abandons lee and then she uh she sets off on her own for a little while she runs into sully again and then she decides that she wants to reconnect she goes and finds lee's sister and then she comes back to lee and finds lee oh oh, it's so good the reunion and then yeah eventually they find their own little piece of heaven in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I love, oh my God, Kate, the use of voiceover over the beautiful landscape cinematography is my favorite thing. I love when they say, when she says like, let's just go be people. And he's like, let's be people together. And she gets a a job at the bookstore at the university. They're living like right off campus. Um, Where are they at? They're like Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah, Ann Arbor. That's right. And just living this like little slice of heaven, this blissful existence. It reminds me, this is another part where like my concept of queerness is, well, I don't know if it's my concept of queerness. One of the ways that queerness has impacted me and my relationships is I used to when I thought I was straight or when I was trying to be straight, I really stuck to like prescribed, like this is how relationships are supposed to go. I'm supposed to meet someone, go on a couple dates, kiss them, fall in love, say, I love you, uh, get engaged, blah, blah, blah. Like there's, there's a very strict formula. There's a script, right? Yeah. Um, but then, being queer, coming out and starting to date people who, and and like fall in love with people, I discovered that I was able to question the scripts and, and create my own world. Right. And this part of the movie really made me think of that. Like they 
aren't following a script. They're not trying to be anything. They're not conforming to anything that's gone before them necessarily mm-hmm. because yeah. they've they've run into several eaters on their way through life, but they are not doing any of that. They're just question they've questioned what they want and they've said okay this is this is where we are and this is what we've decided to do i love that and that to me is is beautiful you know and and it's such a cozy beautiful like slice of life you know Mm -hmm. um i love this part of the movie it's so comfortable and and it's i almost wish it ended here rip your fucking heart out i remember when we were watching this in theaters together danny and i was like I know this isn't the ending, but can we just leave now and pretend that yeah, it is? Yeah, I think this is good. Because this is so, like, they finally have found this existence yeah. that is peaceful and just normal for them and yeah. not normal, not conforming to societal standards, like you said, but their own truth. Yeah. And then. You see them, like, cooking bacon in the kitchen oh, and, like. Talking to the, his Lee's, sister on the yeah, phone, to oh, Kayla. She yeah. wants to come visit us. Oh, my God. But, unfortunately, Disaster strikes in the form of Sully, who has followed them to their slice of heaven. And, well, uh, he's so creepy. It's it's a very uncomfortable scene. And this is where we really, I think, we talked earlier about how it's pretty ambiguous as far as what role he is playing, mm-hmm. because he's not sure. You know, yeah. he's so, it's, this is... He's such a fractured this person. This is, yeah, allegedly like his first real connection in years because we learn that when he's recounting his first time with Marin, when they are eating together, you know, this mm-hmm. this woman and they dry off together, um, he's saying, you know, my first time was my granddaddy. Um, my mom cleaned it all up and then I ran off and no one came looking for me. Mm-hmm. And so he's been alone Presumably, like 60 years. Yeah, from the time. I mean, Marin was three when it was her first time. He was probably like really I was, young. I like think he a, was like 10. Okay, I don't know if he says, but yeah. but maybe he does. Um, but yeah, really, really young and just being disenfranchised for your whole life. Um, so, so when he finally has movie. this connection, he's not sure if he wants to fill the role of a father figure, a mentor, a friend, a lover, and you really get that sense when he's on top of her on that bed. It's very difficult to watch. Um, and he's just, you know, he's saying that he just, Sully just wants to sleep. Sully just wants to sleep at night. Yeah, it's so okay, creepy. Sully. Yeah, definitely watch this movie because, like, it's it's hard to describe and, like, I don't, yeah. Um, but it's, it's an impactful scene, uh, very well acted. What do you think his end goal was being there? Because I don't even know if he knows. No, like, he doesn't know. He, I think he shows up. I think it's more of a compulsion, you know? Like, he's he's not sure what to do. Why do people become obsessed with others? You know, yeah. why do why do people do the things that they do when they're kind of going crazy? Um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, anyway so... A fight. Uh, well, anyway. Uh, Lee shows up. Lee comes home. Ah, uh, the plastic bag. Around his face, I love that imagery oh, so, it's so much. Good. A fight breaks Ooh. out. It's brutal. It is the most like visceral violence that we see through the whole movie. Yeah, between three eaters too. Yeah, knives. Lee ends up getting so stabbed. much blood. So much blood. They take him to the bathtub. Yeah, and then Marin takes an organ out. I don't know. We don't even have to I cover that because like, I don't really yeah. have a reading on that. Yeah, I mean either. But. but it just feels very like they have to do this and they're doing this together. And yeah. he's he's the only, he's the thing that's like fucking up their bliss. You know, he just interjected himself. And so 
Yeah, they yeah. have no choice but to take him out. Totally. He's not going to leave Marin alone. He's made that very clear. Yeah, and then... So they, they defeat him, they kill him, but then in the process, Lee is stabbed. He's wounded. His lung is exposed. It yeah. cut, I think it actually punctured his lung. Yeah, I think so. Like, you can hear the... He's <sighs> oh. out of breath. And <sighs> as he's dying, he asks Marin to eat him. He says, I want you to eat me, bones, bones and, all. and all. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then I, it is, it's interesting because the first time we watched this, I didn't actually hear him say, I want you to eat me. Because she ends up doing that. Like, they're making out and kissing. And then it's kind of unclear, like, when she slips into eating him. But it definitely happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I watched it the second time, because I, okay, sorry. I heard some feedback from people, some reviews, saying that they thought the ending was just over the top and it, their their reaction was laughter, right? Um, and, and, like, I... Fuck those the, people. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, fuck you guys. But I, to be honest, like, I kind of get it because the, the, him saying the his... Okay, his delivery of those lines could possibly be seen as a little over the top because mm-hmm. he's just like, I want you to eat me, Marin. I want you to mm-hmm. eat me. But, like... Also, he's, like dying it's, so yeah if you're in the moment and you've gone on this journey with these characters that you're not taken out of it by yeah, that it like you're like so it. you're swelling with the music you know your emotions are soaring and i love when when um that song by atticus ross and trent reznor yeah. kicks in i don't remember what it's I called but it's, it's like one you made it feel like home yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a minute oh my god it's so heartbreaking and then <laughs> yeah we just like see her transition from like loving on him to consuming him yeah. which is in the, the ultimate end. act of love question mark yeah well like it's the connection he wanted her to have that and he wanted to be with her forever yeah which i think is why the ending works so well mm-hmm. um when they cut to that scene of them together on the plains in nebraska mm-hmm. holding each other yeah um we see that they are together forever mm-hmm. yeah and like we were talking a little bit over the break, like the, we don't really get closure as to like what happens with Marin afterwards, what's going on, anything like that. But we do get that thematic closure of like, these people were in love and they yes. found their place with each other. And that's what matters. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's such a tragedy. It is absolutely I mean, breathtaking it's and beautiful and devastating. And... So well made. I, I wish that like I don't know how big this movie was, but I want to see more people talking about it because it is it, it means so much to me, you know. And yeah. I think that a lot of people could get a lot out of this movie. Yes, I know that like the barrier to entry is like getting over the fact that it's a cannibal movie, but it is. It says so much about like. Being an outsider, knowing yourself, loving people, and, you know, finding a place in this world. Um, It's really powerful. 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Honestly, one of my favorite films of the year. I could probably watch this, like, 10 times. uh Uh-huh, yep. Didn't stop talking about it or thinking about it for, like, weeks after the first viewing. Yeah. Um, Pretty obsessed, so. Definitely. If this didn't inspire you to watch it, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, we really enjoyed this. Uh, we are looking forward to 
more reviews about how we can form connections and find ourselves because yeah. that's been the common theme pretty yeah, much it really has which i love for us yeah <laughs> Um, you can find us on social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter. We are bisexually underscore lit. You can find us on Tumblr at bisexually lit pod or email us at bisexually lit pod at gmail.com. Uh, check out our, um, check out our network, uh, winterhawkpodcasting.com. We have a few other shows that are airing currently that are very good. They're awesome. Check them out. Really enjoying them. Uh, yeah. And we, we we'll, love you. Thank you for listening. We love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Um, I don't have anything pithy to end this with. <laughs> um, go spend the entire day at the movies. Yes. Yeah. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Yay. Bisexually Lit is a production of Winterhawk Podcasts. For more information, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.